0: Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Hope, a podcast to inspire listeners with weekly stories and personal testimonies from our wide range of guests. The Webster Dictionary defines hope as a desire accompanied by expectation of a belief in fulfillment. How about that? I'm your host, Danny Daniel, and thank you for listening. Today... You're going to hear from me first so I can talk to you a little bit about the show, how we built it uh, and brought it to fruition, a little bit about my background. You'll also hear from our first guest, Lee Tyndall, who will tell us about her journey through a hard childhood and how she got to be where she is today when her life could have gone many different directions. But first, let me introduce my producer, Danielle. She's going to be interviewing me on the first episode. You know, uh, I had to go through about 100 I oh, was at 200 resumes to find you. Uh, you were in the uh, in the shrubs over there somewhere at the university. But uh, I was very specific about who I wanted to do this because I knew we had been through several interns, I mean a bunch of them, and nobody had ever really worked out very well. But I knew that your resume, and when I talked to you and and, and I interviewed you, that you were the one to do it, and I'm glad you're here.
1: Well, thank you so much. I never thought two months ago when I threw my resume out on your um, application on Handshake that I'd be sitting here in a microphone in a recording studio. So I thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. I think it's going to be fun.
0: Well, we are going to make some something that's worthwhile. We are going to make something that's different. And I told you, I said, uh, Danielle, how come we can't be a top 20 podcast? Well, we can.
1: I think we can be.
0: If We work hard enough at it and mm-hmm. be different enough, but I kept reiterating over and over again I said it's all about content. It's all about the people we interview and it's all about the what they have to say and what their story is mm-hmm. and that's what you're bringing forward. So you are an integral part of this <laughs> and I'm glad you're here.
1: Alright, so tell us a little about where you grew up and about your childhood.
0: Well, I grew up in this little town called Athens, and I did that in Five Points, which everybody knows about now. Uh, it was a wonderful opportunity to really get to know a lot of people and to uh, enjoy uh, being at the University of Georgia. Uh, after I left Georgia, I took a turn, to, a sharp turn to the right, you might say, and I went down to uh, Augusta, Georgia. I was a finance major, so I was a banker, and then I bought a restaurant down there called the Red Line Pub. I didn't even know how to cook a hamburger, but uh, somehow we made it work and got elected to the State House of Representatives. So Augusta was very good to me. Uh, I was uh, one of the youngest legislators in the whole uh, General Assembly, but yet uh, I met a lot of good people and still know a lot of them today.
1: So after that, um, being a State House legislator, and then how did you get into radio from there after being in Augusta?
0: Well, I'll get in trouble if I don't mention what other big event I had down in Augusta and was marrying my wife. <laughs> uh, we, she came into my restaurant one night, and I saw her over there, and I said, that's the girl I want to marry. And Miraculously, we got married about six or eight months later, and uh, that was a, a wonderful event. But uh, what really moved me back in this direction was my dad uh, was killed, in a train wreck uh and so he was my best friend and i just lost it all really bad and decided i just needed to move back to athens sold the restaurant uh, got uh, out of politics didn't want to but i did and moved back to back to athens Uh, which uh, i think that really uh formulated uh my opportunity to do a lot of thinking because i wasn't very active the first three years after he died and I did a lot of thinking, but I have always had a desire to want to do something more than what I was doing. It wasn't that what I was doing wasn't important because I was a a, uh, nationally recognized uh, salesman of long-term care, and if you know anything about long-term care, that's for people to have funds to pay for their care when generally they get older without using up all of their uh, retirement funds. So I did that for 22 years, and it worked out uh, pretty well. But I always had this feeling, uh, Danielle, this this void, really. I said, here I am. I've produced millions of dollars' worth of uh, uh, policies for people, and I have raised a family, and uh, I've got three boys, by the way. Uh, Why wouldn't you be satisfied? But I really wasn't. And I knew that uh, I had to find some way to uh, have an opportunity to make a difference, to uh, help people, help other people. And the only way that uh, really meant anything to me was to do it in a big fashion. I didn't want to do it on the phone, and I didn't want to do it by writing letters.
1: So you did that by getting into radio, so kind of that was your thought process into getting into radio, and what experience did you have in radio up until now?
0: It, it, it really was my thought process. I said, you know, I can, I can talk to a lot of people on the radio, and so I went down to WGAU. I had never been on radio in my life, and I talked to the manager down there. And I said, I'd like to do a senior show. Uh, I said, just, just interesting, interesting things for seniors, and I'd like to do it every Saturday morning. So he, he uh, put a little faith in me, and it worked for four years. Uh, I got to the point where I couldn't do all of my other business and try to do that at the same time, but it really gave me a lot of experience in talking on radio. That was the first. Uh, Then I had uh, multiple opportunities to work in um, podcasting, uh, to do things that I thought were helpful, but I really didn't have the uh, right, uh, you might say, motive involved in it. Uh, My motive uh, ended up with what I consider to be a calling. And the calling says, look, Danny, don't worry about how much money you're going to make. Don't put yourself in a position to get numbers. Everything's numbers this day and time. But put yourself in a position to help people, help people understand uh, the, the, the good things that are going on in this world and not just all the bad stuff. And so that's where we move towards uh, hope. The Danny Daniel Show.
1: Mm-hmm. So, kind of, when did you start thinking up this specific podcast, and kind of what got you going to get it started?
0: Well, again, I, I, my son actually asked me the question. Said, "Dad, how much money are you gonna make on this thing?" I said, "I don't know. Might not make anything on it." Uh, I said, "But, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna make have an impression uh, opportunity for folks out there." that need to listen to good news, uh, not just all the bad stuff that's going on out there. And I said if I could do that, then I would have a, a universal audience. Who doesn't want to listen to good news? Who doesn't want to listen to good things? And uh hope really defines that in such a big way that uh allowed me just to say, all right, let's just build this show around hope, around inspiration, around encouragement, uh around uh, education to a small degree uh, so that if you come to this show what our objective is danielle is to put people in a position to take something away with them mm-hmm. i don't want them just to listen to the show for the fun of it just for the i want them to find some kind of opportunity to uh, gain uh, uh, some ideas from the people that we interview so It makes your job a little bit harder.
1: (laughs) So as this podcast grows and um, the future of it, what do you wish to get out of um, our wide range of guests, and what do you hope the listeners will get out of it?
0: Well, again, I I, I want them to to get some happy thoughts out of it, Uh, some uh, opportunity to say that, uh, you know, I can't believe that person did that or this person did that. So we're really digging out of the archives, you might say, uh stories that people don't readily know uh so they they're learning what happens to to other folks and if it turns their attitude uh and you know to me attitude is uh life is 90% attitude with uh and the other 10% doesn't count that's the way I look at at, at it if you can get a positive attitude you've got something Uh, If you take a negative attitude, it takes so long to bring it back to a positive. So that's what we want to do. We want to invoke opportunities for people to really uh, enjoy what they listen to and take something with them.
1: Mm -hmm. So we're kind of talking about what the listeners are going to get out of the podcast. You thought this whole podcast up. You're trying to make a difference. What do you personally hope to get out of it?
0: I would just like to think that before I go to the pearly gates, uh, I've had an opportunity to uh, try to invoke some happiness uh, in in people, uh, so that they could remember the show that it was hope, yeah that's true, but it also was uh, uh, important to change some of their direction. Because what what it amounts to, Danielle, we're, we're trying to make a difference here. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to do. We want to make a difference in people's lives, and we want them to take the information they get from us and spread it around, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like pay it forward, if you will, uh, so that when it's all said and done, uh, maybe there'll be somebody in the wings that'll say, do you remember that show, Hope, the Danny Daniels show? Uh, and for very positive reasons.
1: Okay. Well, I think it's going to go well. Are you nervous?
0: No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll tell you why I'm not nervous at all. Because everybody uh, is here for a reason. They really are. They may not understand it. They don't understand their purpose, and they certainly haven't risen, uh, read the book, "The Purpose Driven Life." Uh, it's in a bridge form, there, folks. You can get it and read it much quicker than you could can by reading the whole big book, but. Uh, I, I think that, that that we all also have a calling, and this is my calling. I really believe this with uh, every bone I have. This is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life, and it's supposed to be something that uh, has value, is encouraging to, to folks, and uh, allows us to be a little part of a lot of people's lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I thank you for allowing me to be a part of it, and I'm excited to see what our guests have to say.
0: Thank you so much for doing the interview. Uh, now we know you're a radio person. Right? <laughs> I
1: hope so.
0: After this break, we'll have uh, Judge Lee Tindall on to tell her story. But first, I wanted to remind our listeners that if you or someone you know has a story to tell, we want to hear it. You can submit your information on our website, the and we'll get back with you and hopefully get you on the show at some time. Also... I'm a large supporter of the UGA Miracle Group, which is a student-run organization that raises money for children's health care of Atlanta. Nothing like a child. They raise over $1 million a year, and you can be part of that. Just go to the ugamiracle.org and you can donate. Remember, any amount given is a step closer to saving a child's life. Now back to the show. I'd like to introduce you to our first guest, Judge Lee Tindall, uh, here to tell a story from growing up in a large, poverty-stricken family to now impacting lives daily as a magistrate court judge in uh, South Carolina. Hello. Is this Lee?
2: Yes, it is.
0: this Danny? It sure is. It's nice to hear you on the other <laughs> end of the phone.
2: Uh, you. <laughs> you look like
0: you've got quite a story to tell. I'm really excited about uh, telling folks about it.
2: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And I don't even see it because it was just my life, you know?
0: Well, you, you had a good life, and it's wound up in a pretty good uh, fashion.
2: Yes, it has. Yes, it has.
0: Well, t- tell us this. I'm excited to understand your childhood. You didn't grow up in the uh, the big mansions and that sort of thing. Uh,
2: no, no. I had um, grew up in a, a room that, or a house that had four rooms. And, um, so I usually slept with either three or four of my brothers and sisters. So, um, but I was number eight of 11, so we always had a crowd, somebody to play with and somebody to fight with.
0: <laughs> Good night. 11 kids. That's amazing. Uh,
2: 11. Yep.
0: You, you almost, you got your own football team. Okay. And
2: that was it. That was it. We had our, all the farm hands that my parents needed. So.
0: You can't, you can't beat that. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, now. I understand that your dad uh, quit school when he was in the fifth grade because his father died, Uh, and so that changed some things as far as income went, didn't it?
2: It did. It did. After um, the fifth grade, he worked um, helping my grandmother and then ended up going into the CCC camp where they would send young people down uh, during the Depression, and he was building a state park in Quitland, Mississippi was where he was working and that was how he met my mother my mother was from mississippi
0: oh that's that's grand and uh yeah. but your, your, your mother didn't know she was gonna have 11 kids i don't imagine
2: no nope, no nope, she didn't but she was an awesome mama she really was <laughs>
0: i always ask those parents do you know all the kids names
2: <laughs> <laughs> i got called by everybody else's name until they finally remembered oh yeah you're Leanna.
0: Well, I, I only had three boys, and I called the third one uh, the second, one, uh, second one's name, and so I didn't do too good at all. Uh, she, Your mom worked in a factory, and I guess there are a lot of people in that area that worked in factories, and you did that as well. Is that true?
2: I did during the summer. During the summer, we would um, work, and, of course, you know, Give the money to mom and daddy, but that was our summer jobs. Was working in it was a garment industry sewing rooms. I but see. That was my first job.
0: Yeah. Well, you were making a community <laughs> contribution, weren't you? <clears throat> <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> I was. I was to my parents, especially when it came down. They were there were only um, three younger than me, so but it still helped out with the household.
0: Well then, did you uh approach being more of a tomboy or something like that? Or you, you wanted to be a boy? What was all that stuff about?
2: Because of my brothers were always able to do things that we weren't able to do, um, the girls weren't able to do because we were the ones that were supposed to, you know, work in the garden and clean up and have dinner on the table when mom and daddy got home. And but my brothers got to go hunting and got to go fishing and I just always I wanted to be a boy so bad and my oldest brother Larry told me that if I would kiss my elbow that I could turn into a boy and numerous nights I laid in bed trying to kiss my elbow, but it never did work.
0: <laughs> it just doesn't work out, does it?
2: <laughs> I never could get to my elbow. I tried. <laughs> oh,
0: that's that's fantastic. And it, much like <laughs> brothers and sisters to, to tell you to do things like that, that uh, really they get a kick out of it and you don't know what's going on. <laughs>
2: No. No, I just firmly believed he was my oldest brother <clears throat> and I firmly believed everything he said.
0: Well, now all of your siblings still uh with us?
2: No. No, no. I've lost um three brothers and two sisters.
0: Good night.
2: Um And it's all been to cancer but different types of cancer.
0: My my word, uh, it almost feels like it's in the water or something, doesn't it? I
2: know. Yeah. Yeah, but there there's um, so many different types of cancers that it was um, very unusual. But we were like a small community anyway.
0: Well, and and again, I'm sure that you were very close, uh, so you hated to see your your siblings go.
2: It, it was it was especially my oldest sister, my oldest sister Judy. That was the hardest. We had um, my brother Larry was born in 1940, and I was born in 54. And I never mind telling my age because I'm glad God gave me another year. But so by the time he was, I was born, he was 14 years old. And then and my sister Judy was born two years after him. So they were older and gone to to the Army, and my sister Judy went to nursing school. So for a while, we didn't even know them.
0: Well, now, it's true. Not many of y'all went for higher education, did you?
2: No, no, no. My sister Kathy did, and my sister Judy went to nursing school. Kathy, I believe, went to school for business, and my sister Judy was, of course, nursing school in Columbia.
0: <laughs> I thought of something kind of cute. I, you know, you you say you didn't have very many shoes, very many pairs of shoes, but uh, <laughs> most people will tell you, says, you know, pull your pull your boots up by the bootstraps. and You didn't have any shoes to pull them up with, did you?
2: We didn't have any straps to pull the boots up. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I found the boots, but, yes, I never, um... in the summertime, we were barefooted. We got one haircut at the first part of the summer, and I, I'll never forget that because uh, the lady would shave the back of our necks, the girls too, and cut the hair real short so we didn't have to worry about haircuts for the rest of the summer. But, they would, uh, I remember those clippers going down the back of my neck to this day. <laughs> but um, that was oh it. No oh, shoes and short haircut, So that was it. But um I guess you know the story about why I wear shoes all the time now.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you didn't ever have any, that makes good sense to me.
2: Uh But when we were younger, we played in the yard all the time. And we had chickens. And there was, I swore when I got old enough that I would, Always wear shoes, first thing I put on in the morning, last thing I take off at night. I stepped in so much chicken poop when I was little till I just swore that that was what I was going to do. I was going to wear shoes all the time, and I do to this day.
0: So did y'all raise chickens?
2: We raised chickens. We had a a mule that we planted a garden with. We had uh, a cow and some pigs. So every year we butchered the pigs, and I mean, we pretty self-sustaining.
0: Yeah. Now, what about the cow? Was it a milk cow?
2: It was a milk cow. Milk cow. So we had milk, and we turned to butter, and we had buttermilk and sweet milk. And then it wasn't near the milk that we have today. I remember the first time I drank milk from a carton, I thought it was nasty.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm not a country boy. I'm a city boy. I guess you might. I married a country girl, okay. uh, and they didn't have cows. But I never understood how you pasteurize that stuff. You just didn't, did you?
2: We didn't. We didn't. We didn't even understand that that was what you were supposed to do, but we didn't.
0: And so you got your taste buds uh tuned in to what you got out of that cow.
2: Absolutely. That's like the difference between margarine and butter, you you taste that that cow milk now and you taste carton milk is totally different.
0: Oh my. Well. Well, now, now you have really come a long way, and uh, you're to be commended for doing so. You are now a magistrate judge, is that correct?
2: Yes, for almost 30 years.
0: Uh, but when you went in there, they thought you know you had to have some kind of an education, a high school or college or something, but you, you didn't have to do that.
2: Well, I graduated from high school, and at that point, you didn't even have to be a high school graduate. We were basically considered justice and peace type. It was just somebody with good standing in the community to begin with. So we didn't have to have any formal education at all. And it's I can't say that I did it because every step I made, I've had someone else. And by the grace of God, I am where I am that other people came along and steered me in a direction that I guess the Lord wanted me to go in.
0: Well, I talk about that on my show. I, I have a calling to do this show. I feel strongly about that. I've had it all my life, but it's finally being realized uh, because uh, I want the opportunity to make a difference, and that's what you're doing. i uh, It sounds like you've really made a difference in some of the people that have been in, in your, uh, I guess, your court or whatever. What about the guy that came in and wanted to thank you uh, for changing his life? What, what was that about?
2: It was, um, there was a group of young people that were called, charged with shoplifting at Walmart, which was not unusual. We saw a lot of that, but it was a group. Um, this young man came in and with his friends, and something about him that just told me I, I didn't believe that he did it. And I told him that I was going to help him out and that he needed to get away from where he was and his friends. And 10 years later, he came to my office, full uniform, standing at attention. When I finally got there, he came three times before I finally was able to see him. And he stood and told me, Judge Tanner, you have, you changed my life. If you had not seen good in me and what you told me to do, I followed. And now it's 10 years later. And all the people that I was hanging around with at that time are dead or in prison. And I teach military police. I'm stationed in Germany. And I only came through to see my grandfather and to speak to you and let you know what a change you made in my life. And I still get choked up when I think about him standing there because he had deer running down his face and handed me his coin. I have his coin in my office right now.
0: Well, I could get choked up, and I didn't even witness it. <laughs> I tell you, that's something strong. Yeah,
2: uh, there, very, very, very. You don't expect it, and you always think, if I can just help one person, and when that one person comes, I mean, there's been more, but that that was amazing to me.
0: Well, I imagine there are a lot of people like that uh, that just needed a break. You know, they they maybe maybe you look back and you said, I got a couple of breaks on the way. Oh,
2: well, I got a lot of breaks, like I'm saying, every my path had to do with a lot of people that believed in me and had faith enough in me to give me a chance.
0: Well, that means, uh, that means everything. So what would you say that, uh, makes you the woman you are today? Is it just the fact that you've been blessed, uh, and uh, things have worked out pretty good?
2: I, I, just like me, I've always told everybody that's coming in front of me whenever they make bad decisions. I've met a lot of good people that made bad decisions. And I told them, God didn't make but one of you, and that makes you special. You, every day, walk knowing that you have a father who's a king, and you are royalty, and that's what you you need to live your life by. You look straight ahead. Don't look back. Don't look back. You can't change the past, but you can definitely make a lot of changes to your future. But my faith in God, my mother... My father too, but my, my mother was our rock. You know, raising that many children and working every day and loving every one of us, but it was I've always felt. And and one quick story is that I had a gentleman who came to me one time. The, the guy was going to prison for distributing drugs, He um he said, Judge, I'm going to tell you something. Yeah, I. You're you're always gonna be okay because you you'll never forget how to eat fat back. And at first I thought, what a, what a strange thing. And then I thought, you know what? As long as I remember my roots, then I can I can follow my future.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, uh, everything contributes to your life every day, every hour, uh, every year. It contributes. Sometimes you feel like it's negative. Sometimes it's positive. But it's it's all by design, really. It's all by design.
2: I believe that one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I lost my husband ten years ago. God has blessed me with a good man now that I'm engaged to. But ten years ago, I remember being riding down the road, completely lost. It was raining, and I was just praying, just Lord, let me know what to do because I'm by myself. I'm by myself. It was so hard to lose him. And I turned the corner up past the road to the house, got down the road, turned onto another road to come back home. And in front of me was a rainbow. Oh, man. And I knew right then, God's like, sweetheart, it's going to be okay. There's always a rainbow after these storms, it's going to be all right.
0: Well, again, as we started this whole thing off, I said you had a story to tell, and uh, you came from roots. Uh, to uh, to big oak trees as far as I can see
2: <laughs> absolutely uh, I, I did <laughs>
0: and I'm really happy for you and I hope you have another uh, great year and uh, like I say just put yourself in a position to continue to help others that's what you're you're here for
2: and I hope you do too Danny thank you so much
0: thank you for being on the show
2: thank you for what you're doing
0: all right, all right. bye 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 well, that was a great first episode and a great first guest, Lee Tyndall. Thank you to all of our listeners. Remember to go to our website, thedannydanielshow.com, to submit your story if you have one to tell, or even if you don't. We'd like to hear that one, too. Also, come back next week and weeks after that for more episodes. Have a great week, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Danny Daniel. Thank you, and stay hopeful.